you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We begin with the very latest on COVID-19, and particularly advice from our expert on how to get together with friends safely this Sunday to enjoy the Super Bowl, Dr. Shruti Gohill from UC Irvine School of Medicine, Professor of Medicine and Associate Medical Director for Epidemiology and Infection Prevention. Dr. Gohill, very good Friday to you. Welcome back. Great to be back. So let's uh, start, first of all, with uh, Super Bowl gatherings for this Sunday, because many people will be getting together with friends and family members to watch the game. What sorts of advice do you have on how to do that safely? You know, it's so hard because everybody is so ready to move on, I think, from from COVID and the restrictions that have been placed. But um, I would say, you know, think a little bit about those numbers that we have. Uh, If you look nationally, California is amongst the top. And if you look amongst California, L.A. County and uh, Orange County, really, really, we saw the biggest um, the biggest number in cases. And so we, we would exercise caution, continue to exercise caution, uh, you know, in the next uh, week or two um, at minimum. Uh, and so, yeah, how do you do it safely? Well, I would actually still apply your previous um, thinking, which is, you know, if you have uh, members of your household that you're you know, regularly in contact with, obviously having gathering with people who are vaccinated as opposed to unvaccinated, uh, and nobody who is sick, you know, be wise, right? All of those things. If you can move anything outdoors uh, in terms of your own, um, you know, you're gathering it into a patio or something, that will substantially decrease, you know, the likelihood of spread. And it's important to note that, you know, when we have these huge stadiums, um, for example, uh, versus indoor gatherings, you know, there's a big difference. We haven't seen as many outdoor um, congregated setting huge outbreaks, although you see a couple of weeks after such a huge event, you do see a spike. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's not a no risk activity outdoors, but, um, but it does, it does help so much. I have a friend who several weeks ago got COVID, the Omicron variant, and feels fairly confident it was from going to the Rams game at SoFi that that was really the only risky exposure that he had, and he he attributed it to that. And, you know, even though it is technically an outdoor venue, uh, you've got, you know, 70-some thousand people that are screaming and, you know, most of them not wearing masks, and, and so obviously there still is... Uh, an opportunity for 
transmission, even though everybody has to be vaccinated or test positive. I'm sorry, test negative before they're allowed to uh, to to go to yeah. the event. Yeah. Well, how, how long do you think it's going to be before we don't really have to concern ourselves with this? I mean, unless someone is, is severely immunocompromised. But for the typical person, how far away are we from being able to get together with family members and friends and not be worrying about masking and air circulation and being outside and all that stuff? Though I think we're getting there. I really do. I um, always hesitate again in my business because it we always get surprised. But um, this one, it's it's really interesting to see how quickly it went up, quickly it's come come down. And if you count the case rates, um, of course, LA County we're going to be you know behind others um, nationally because of how many raw number of cases we saw. We really are the epicenter. If you look at the last couple of um, weeks and months as to the total number of cases. So I would think a couple of weeks out, but um, famous last words. So yeah, that that's what that's the projection. All right. I'd love to hear from listeners. Your questions for Dr. Shruti Gohill, UC Irvine School of Medicine. We're at 866-893-KPCC, 866-893-5722, or email us your questions at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your first name and your location. Uh, let's talk a, a bit about um, how people are so uh, ready to move on because you, you were mentioning, you know, how we're we're kind of at that point. Um, we're seeing protests in some places where mask mandates have continued. In California, there's the uh, debate about whether the state is going to follow through and require all employers to have everybody that works for them vaccinated over concerns that, you know, some professions that could leave them uh, severely depleted with the people willing to work under those terms. Um, speak a little bit, if you would, about the psychology of where we're at now coming up on the two year anniversary of the pandemic. Yeah, I think this it's such a key question about how are we going to reframe where we land after these past two years in our minds? Everybody, of course, ready to move on and look at this thing as a as a as a thing that happened. And then now it's over. But the reality is, is that this virus, you know, what what happens in these pandemics is that it'll, you know, at some point become what we call endemic. Endemic means that there's low level circulation in in the communities. And so, um, you know, the psychology of how you downgrade this sort of really high, um, high vigilance type of activity uh, while we were surging and dealing with new new variants all the time down to a normalcy of life of endemicity i think that we really need to have a conversation about what was then and what was now so much has happened since that time um you know that makes us feel a little bit better about living life we have vaccination is a key key point i think that that having a, a large amount of the population have some kind of immunity so that we're not landing in that place where we saw with the first wave where the whole health systems are totally overwhelmed. I think that's a huge thing. People need to appreciate how much these vaccines have helped um, us get through uh, the last couple of surges and will help us get through going forward. So I think I think that's right. I think that uh, for us to get to a place where psychologically all of us are feeling okay um, about about moving on and then exercising caution you know if you're feeling sick you know there's certain things that we should keep keep um, with us covid gave us understandings that like 
For example, if you have symptoms of, even if it's a regular cold or you're going to have flu season coming on, we have flu circulating, you know, please, please be kind to others and, and mask yourself or stay out of um, the way of other people and, and wash your hands. And um, uh, those kinds of uh, principles, I hope, will carry on in our psyche. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, Larry, but that's that's my first thought. No, I, it does make sense um, that this whole thing has been a reminder of our vulnerability to infectious diseases because, you know, we obviously hadn't experienced anything like this in a century. So this, I think, reminds us of our vulnerability and the importance to engage in some of the new practices hygienically that we've that we've taken on. Um, and and air circulation, you know, being being one that I think has long needed to be addressed and employers are now looking at it, restaurants, other places where people congregate. I think that's all a positive and I hope that continues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are certain things that we made, maybe we've made ourselves a healthier, more conscious community. And, and as long as we stop fighting about the, you know, the verity of, of masking and the, you know, whether or not we should do this or that, you know, and just, just kind of move on. I think that's the other piece of the psychology. If we can all unify around certain, certain key core principles that, that really are just fact-based and let's just move on. It is fascinating how, how the regional differences about COVID come into play, though, looking at an L.A. Times survey monkey poll, it showed 52 percent of Californians who are planning to watch the Super Bowl say they'll do it alone or with fewer people than normal because of their concerns uh, about COVID-19. Across the country, that number drops to 41 percent. And in Ohio, where, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals are from, only 32 percent of residents say they will watch the game alone or with fewer people because of COVID. Now, some of that, of course, is going to be because of differential rates of the Omicron variant. But others are, you know, seem to have to do with people's um, willingness to live with a higher degree of risk. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. We have to unpack some of that um, as to, you know, what, yeah, if, if we're putting the world together in terms of, you know, uh, which risk am I willing to take? I, if I'm a no risk person, you know, I'm gonna have a different answer than if I'm a lower moderate risk person. And that kind of, um, you know, thinking uh, really, it, it's it's going to be interesting to think about how how we put that together. And yeah, I think it does matter the local prevalence, but also the local culture, as I think you were alluding to. I do think that Californians um, have had a, a much more. Uh, we've embraced a lot of the COVID pandemic response um, needs uh, in a way that some parts of the country have not. Um, we also have had to do that because uh, we have had more cases. If you look at, you know, nationally, we're one of the biggest, uh, you know, biggest um, uh, states and, and local provinces with the highest COVID rate almost on, on, in every surge. We're at 866-893-KPCC. Maria, in Atwater Village, emailed us, you know, what are the percentages of patients who are dying in the hospital from COVID versus with COVID? My understanding, Dr. Gohill, was that when they talk about deaths from COVID, those are people who the principal cause of death 
was described as COVID-19, not people who died, say, of a heart attack in the hospital um, who tested positive for, for COVID. But but uh, can you tell us if, if there is uniformity on how that's counted? I do think that... It, uh it's variable to what uh, each case and each physician, how, how the, the case is put together in terms of how what the um, domino effect was or was not from COVID. So uh, it is true that the principal cause of death um, attributable to COVID really thought when we when we think about that, it's supposed to be that, you know, COVID happened, it changed the trajectory of that patient's um, overall lifespan, life uh, event. The problem with Omicron, Omicron in particular is that you get this mixture, you get this mild disease from Omicron that you may or may not recognize to be an inciting event in somebody's life. But for certain people like congestive heart failure patients or patients who have, you know, COPD or some such, you know, obstructive pulmonary disease, these patients will come in and get destabilized on their chronic conditions and then, and then come in for that chronic condition. And it may be lost that, in fact, the domino, you know, the couple of weeks after the fact of a mild COVID, uh, that actually they became destabilized because of that and then and then ended up having a, a life uh, event. Yeah. So um, it's a mixture. Yeah. I, I as I mentioned before on the program, my my wife's first cousin who died in the hospital, she was uh, in being treated for weeks because of COVID-19. But the cause of death was actually an infection that she obtained inside the hospital. But she was so weakened by the COVID-19, she just had no ability to fight off the infection. So I, I would still call that a COVID-19 death, yes. even, even though it was the infection that tipped her over the edge because she was, she was so vulnerable for anything to happen. That's exactly right. And this is one of the things that our epidemiology groups are, you know, really considering heavily when we think about all-cause mortality, attributable mortality. These are really complicated comp- concepts in uh, in epi that we deal with. That I think that post hoc, you know, after all this is all the dust settles, we're we're going to have to sort out what was attributable, what was not attributable, etc. Along these lines. All right, eight six six eight nine three KPCC. Joaquin and Brea asked whether you think the Super Bowl will cause another spike in COVID cases. Oh, gee, I sure hope not. But you know, it is. I am definitely. You know, you think about what happened in the last Super Bowl. Uh, few overall direct cases that were attributed to that particular, I think it was in Florida, um, you know, just just 57 amongst all the thousands of people that showed up. But then Florida saw a an increase within the next two weeks, just like clockwork, uh, an increase in COVID cases. So, um, so you know, it, we are well uh, warned to maintain our masks and and the stringent policies that I think um, the folks at Super Bowl have put in a place are look look pretty robust. And if we follow those and we keep our masks on when we're not eating um, and we minimize the shouting and yelling and spitting <laughs> with other people, then I think we will do well. Um, that's that's my greatest hope. Well, and one thing to remember is most of the people that are coming in from out of town for the game are coming from places with lower rates of COVID than here, right? So Right. And, and for the NFC Championship game, um, that was a pretty much an all-California crowd where we had higher rates of COVID, and nonetheless, the number of cases continued their decline. So 
I would that makes me hopeful, like you, uh, hopeful that we will not see a surge uh, related to uh, Sunday's game. We can knock yep. on wood and hope for that. Uh, let's see. We have another uh, question. Deborah in Long Beach emailed us. Why do we rarely hear comments about the importance of a healthy diet to improve our immune system response? Um, and, uh, of course, this in addition to all the other protocols and being fully vaccinated and boosted. But, Deborah, um, and I would add to this, we've had other listeners talk about, you know, supplementation along with healthy diet, things like vitamin D3 supplement and the like. What do you think we should consider aside from vaccination to strengthen ourselves? Well, I think, it's, first of all, it's an important question. I think people talk about nutrition and um, ways in which you can naturally boost your immune system. There are a whole host of products that from grocery stores to all kinds of places where you can buy things to kind of help boost yourself up. The, the key issue here is that viruses play with our defenses in very specific ways. So while your immune system can get boosted by different nutrition, you, know, you want to be up, up to par with it. You don't want to be low on certain types of vitamins and minerals in your body, and that could increase your risk, sure. Um, but the virus taps on your cells. It, it knocks on the door on these receptors. There's nothing to do with you know, vitamin C or anything else that, that, to our knowledge, excuse me, to our current understanding in mm-hmm. science, <laughs> that when that knock occurs, that the cell that lets in that virus... Um, is going to behave differently because of some type of supplement that you had, right? So, so that's why we still have to do all these other things. Uh, sure, no, no. I think no physician is going to argue with the fact that you should have a healthy diet and have healthy uh, amounts of vitamin C and and all kinds of other um, things. The the other thing to note here, there are two things to uh, note of caution on my statements, which is that um, this area has been understudied. We do need more studies that address these questions because more and more our patients are asking us questions like this that are good questions, but we need to understand them. The second thing is that the way that we currently understand our bodies to work is that when you ingest a lot, a lot of things, so when you ingest a bunch of nutritive products, for example, there is only so much absorption that your body will do. Why? Because your body loves homeostasis. It likes everything balanced. And so if you flood the system with a bunch of things, um, uh, it will kick it out. If it doesn't need it, it'll kick it out. Um, And that's a protective mechanism. We want everything in balance. So the question is, are you up to par? You take your multivitamin every day and you have the right enough um, nutrients overall in your body. You're eating a healthy diet. That's usually quite sufficient. All right. Dr. Gohill, thank you so much for being with us. You going to be watching Sunday's game? I will. All right. And rooting for the Rams, I hope. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.